Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as, or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. What's the Nas fam? My name is Britt Daniels, fit life coach, yogi, and serial entrepreneur, your host of Black Health 365, a podcast created to educate our community on Black health from various perspectives. It is our mission to be champions of change by providing personalized healthcare information and resources so that our listeners are empowered to make better choices all year round. And I'm joined here by my lovely co-host. Yes, sir. I don't know why I feel like <laughs> today. I'm, I don't know. It's just <sighs> holiday season. We just trying to get through, honestly. Oh, I, I should introduce myself. Uh, Jackie Payne, yeah. <laughs> radio personality, um, fitness coach, Zoom instructor, group fitness instructor. You, you know the spiel. Britt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jackie, but, you know, I'm really interested in what you're saying. You're saying you're trying to get through the holiday season, and I think that actually speaks to a lot of people's experiences. I know holiday seasons can be very exciting for some people, but they can also be very tricky for some people. They can be just simply exhausting for other people. So uh, I'm interested. How have you been spending this holiday season? I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, It is. Simply put, um, I have, and this is real and transparent 365ers, I have no motivation to do anything. Um, I hate saying that as a trainer, but the reality is it is so true. My motivation right now is at a negative five and yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out. So yeah, a little, a little stressed and I, you know, I, don't, I honestly don't even know why, but just don't have any motivation to do anything. I don't know. I appreciate the transparency there, Jackie. Um, you know, it's been a very tumultuous year. I think in the news, we hear the word unprecedented way too much. Um, and for me, I had a little bit of exhaustion, a little bit of burnout from the amount of work I was doing. And so I'm not going to lie to you. I know a lot of people spend holidays with family and stuff. I'm spending these holidays alone. <laughs> I had such a great week. Weeks ago, you being along for Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. I spent the whole week alone and people were looking at my Instagram. I was still posting online, but I was like, I'm not responding to anybody. And people were posting, hitting me up like, Britt, you shouldn't be spending Thanksgiving alone. I'm like, please leave me alone. <laughs> please. Please, leave me. <laughs> please do not message me again. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's important that we understand what's going on in our internal world during this time of year with so much going on, depending on where we're at. And that actually leads us up to our Dharma talk. So 365ers, as you know, we like to start these podcasts off with a Dharma talk. Comes from an Eastern tradition of basically doing some type of affirmation to set the the tone for the conversation. And so today's Dharma talk, matter of fact, go ahead and take out your pencils. 
It's called knowledge of self. How well do you know yourself, right? Um, spending time to really explore who we are, what we are like, how we self-sabotage, our core beliefs, how we interpret the world can be incredible, valuable processes, not only for ourselves, but how we communicate to our partners and the people that matter most to us in our lives. So here are a couple questions, all right, 365ers, write these down, that you can ask yourself and then do research, right, <laughs> on yourself to help you just get a better understanding of who you are in this world. So first question, what is your attachment style? And generally in relationships, we talk about certain types of attachment styles. There's a lot of research on this concept. Go look it up. What makes you feel loved? What are your triggers? Any unhelpful ways you may react when you become triggered or stressed? What are your go-to soothing self-care strategies? What are your self-sabotaging sabotaging behaviors? Um, this is a big one. What are your core beliefs that in influence how you interpret life and the world around you. Um, simply put, what do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? <laughs> this is a fun one. What turns you on? Take that however you want it. And um, your hopes, your dreams and desires. These are some really uh, introspective questions that can just give you a sense of grounding in this world as you go out through this, this holiday period. So, um, you know, with that being said, again, those are questions that are going to help you relate to your partner, to a loved one, there and so forth. Yeah, I love that you um, talked about triggers and things that trigger people um, and knowing what those things are, because a lot of times we don't know what those things are. And then something happens or something is said and then we're triggered by something. And, um, you know, we kind of have an adverse reaction to whatever was said or whatever was done. Um, and it just kind of makes me think about um, a conversation that was had a few weeks ago at the Thanksgiving table um, between the family. Um, kids were brought up <laughs> like, oh, like, you know, me and some of my cousins were just like, um, my grandparents, grandmother in particular, was like, oh, you know, when am I going to get some grandbabies? I don't have any grandbabies. And I'm just like, it's a, it's a conversation that, one, when we talked about it a few weeks ago, I was like, doesn't need to be had at the table because you never know what people are going through. Um, and one of the reasons I said that is because one of my cousins is actually going through some um, infertility. Uh, issues. So it was a very triggering moment for her. And I don't even think she really realized that. Like me and her have talked about it because we're very close in age. But, you know, um, when it came up, I just saw her like kind of just, you know, froze. Um, and I'm up here like, you know, let, let's not go. Let's not start. Let's not go down this path. But she just like froze and, you know, got up and walked away from the table. And I, you know, had to get up eventually and, you know, have a conversation with her. But, um, you know, it's something that I wanted to talk about um, today on the, the podcast is infertility and infertility um, in the black community with black women, because it's something that um, I don't know. Personally, I just feel like we deal with it a little bit more than our counterparts. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, talking about triggers is something that is just kind of hit close to home <laughs> within the last few weeks. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, you know, that candid experience, Jackie. Um, and, and I wish the best to your family members. Um, you know, and this is the conversation, Black 365ers, that we'll be talking about Black infertility, um, especially infertility care for Black women. It's a lot to be said here. Um, 
lot of stats, a lot of statistics, but you know, let's just get right into it. Black women are half as likely as white women to receive infertility care. Um, and one of women of color seek infertility care much later than they should. Um, and it can be harder to help them conceive. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. Um, lack of insurance that covers infertility services, economic gaps to afford care, lack of black sperm and egg donors. That's a huge thing going on in the country right now. There's actually statistically sperm is dropping. Sperm count is dropping in the country. And that could be a lot of factors. I'm interested. We're going to talk to a guest who's going to give more information on that. Um, physician prejudice, distrust of medical practices um, and physicians, which is a historical um, situation in the black community. And similar to what you just spoke on, Jacqueline, feelings of shame, um, isolation, uh, perhaps just, just un- not being able to comfortable to talk about it with family members, right? Right. No, you're absolutely right. That's what I saw at the Thanksgiving table. Was just yeah. not knowing how to have the conversation um, with some of our elders. Um, like I said, it was a conversation that me and my cousin had had because again, we're similar in age, but um, not really having that conversation um, or not knowing how to have that conversation with elders because to them, um, you know, something's wrong or, you know, we're just going to pray this away from it, it. You know, it's just so many things that come along um, in the black community, which, we're, which you know, you kind of touched on when it comes to infertility. So, um, as Brent Britt mentioned, uh, 365ers, we do have a guest. I'm so happy to have her on, um, Dr. Jereen R. Morris, who um, is over at Shady Grove Fertility in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Dr. Morris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, and, and and having this real open and candid conversation, um, infertility is something that is big in the Black community. Um, I'm seeing it happen a lot more um, than I think I ever have. Like I said, I had the conversation with my cousin at the table, but then I think about a few friends who have dealt with it as well. And we're all in our 30s, mid 30s. Um, So, you know, I I thought it was important that we have this conversation because again, it's just something that, I don't know, I just feel like it's it's just too common in in the black community. So um, Dr. Morris, how can infertility be defined? Yeah, that's a great question. So the definition of infertility really is age dependent. If you're less than 35 years of age and you've been trying to conceive for 12 months, so having unprotected intercourse for at least 12 months, then you would meet criteria for at least an evaluation for infertility. If you're over 35, because we know of the effects of age on uh, the woman's gametes or her eggs, we usually recommend a consultation after having six months of uh, unprotected intercourse. So we define it a little bit differently depending on how old the woman is. How is someone diagnosed? That's a great question. So usually if you either go to your obstetrician gynecologist or make the next leap to see an actual fertility specialist, we like to evaluate for three different things. And this is usually how I counsel the couple. So we look for eggs, sperm, and a path in between. And that pretty much guides the workup or the evaluation that I recommend. So for the eggs, we would want to make sure that the woman's ovulating monthly, because if you're not releasing an egg per month, then you will minimize your chances of conceiving each month or each cycle. 
In terms of the eggs, we also take into account the woman's age, knowing that as she gets older, it becomes a lot more challenging to conceive because a lot more of the eggs just are not going to lead to viable pregnancies. And then lastly, their reserve. So a woman is born with all the eggs she'll have throughout her lifetime. She does not make more eggs. And gradually with each year after puberty, the number of eggs she has available will decrease until she reaches menopause. So usually we like to evaluate the woman in those three factors in terms of the egg. Men are definitely not off the hook. So the component is huge. And I know that we'll probably talk a little bit about that, but that is a component that's not just a part of the evaluation, but it's essential since we know that men contribute to 30 to 50% of the couple's infertility. So when you say mm-hmm. men aren't off the hook, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're saying infertility isn't just a, a female thing. It- That's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm so happy that you alluded to that because I think traditionally we've thought of infertility as being something that is woman driven. And while yes, the age of the egg does drive a lot of the infertility that we see in the general population, you know, people are waiting until they get older to conceive, which is different from how it was in the 50s, 60s, and, and so on and so forth. Men can certainly contribute to the couple's infertility. So I usually recommend that um, the evaluation is done at the same time for both the man and the woman, not led by the woman. And then if we don't find something, then we evaluate the man. That simply is not efficient when you're trying to conceive. And it's not effective knowing that men do contribute to the infertility that the couple may experience. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 365 is that's really important. Um, great, 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 great information. Um, next, what are, what are some common causes of infertility in women and maybe even men? Yes. So big causes that are in some respects modifiable. We'll start there. So tubal factor infertility is huge, particularly in the black community. There is a greater exposure to things like sexually transmitted infections, for example. If you get exposed to chlamydia, say in your early 20s, that can lead to damaged tubes. And if those tubes are not functional, that'll make it really challenging for the egg and the sperm to meet, create a pregnancy that can then lead to a baby. The second thing that I know that a lot of women in the black community face are fibroids. Um, The contribution of fibroids to one's fertility, you know, I think that there's mixed data on that, but it certainly can be challenging to conceive depending on how many fibroids one has, how large the fibroids are and where they're located in the uterus. In terms of male factors, there aren't a ton of diagnoses that I feel like are so strongly linked to male infertility that it's worth commenting on. However, I think the biggest uh, issue that's occurred for men is just the lack of evaluation. And so just as I feel like Black women are hesitant to seek out medical care because some of the mistrust that they may have experienced with prior providers, that's similar. And if 
if not worse, among Black males who are just hesitant to go see a physician, hesitant to recognize that they could be the contributor to the couple's infertility. There's a lot of stigma placed on not being able to procreate and, you know, an altered sense of manhood that has been sort of perpetrated throughout our community that I feel like has led them, a lot of Black men, a lot less reticent or a lot more reticent, I should say, to actually be evaluated for things that can be ultimately fixed. Are there things, just as, as a Black man, are there things I need to be concerned about that may lower my sperm count? Yes, great question. So any exposure to any toxic substances, whether it's cigarette smoke, marijuana, those could affect your semen analysis results or semen parameters, as well as your sperm count. You said marijuana? Yes, marijuana. y'all heard it here. <laughs> now, I say that to say, you know, when you evaluate studies or you evaluate a population and you're looking at individuals who are infertile, you're looking at something to fix. So you're looking at a couple who's coming in with a complaint or a problem. That's very different from someone who conceives spontaneously. So a lot of individuals may listen to me and say, well, I know someone or my friend smokes all the time and he's fine. And he probably is. But once you make it to the stage where you and your partner have been trying to conceive and you're not successful, you should probably cut out any of the exposures that could potentially result in you being less fertile. And that includes marijuana. Well, people conceive who use marijuana all the time, but if you're struggling to conceive, that is something you can modify. Another big thing is weight. So for those individuals who are obese, for both men and women, that could have detrimental effects on one's overall fertility. So I simply recommend living a healthy lifestyle, making sure you're eating your fruits and vegetables, you're not taking in too many calories. Um, I do think we have the tendency to shame people who are of a higher weight. And so I wouldn't recommend that. I don't want anyone to go on a crash diet that's not healthy. I'm sure you both are into fitness and lifestyle so you can speak to what's actually healthy versus what is a fad diet that's not recommended. But living a healthy lifestyle in general will ultimately help your gametes be healthy. And it'll make sure that your pregnancy in the future is healthy. Um, some other exposures, if you work in an industry where you're exposed to lots of chemicals, you work with TARS, uh, that can have effects on uh, your semen parameters. Um, and those are the biggest things. Um, I think for both men and women in general, um, the most important thing is just to live a healthy lifestyle. If you can you know, make sure your blood pressure is under control, you're eating the things that you're supposed to eat, you're you know, exercising and you're living an overall healthy life, then there's very few things that you can do to further modify or increase your likelihood of success prior to seeing the doctor. So these sound like holistic treatments or, you know, pre-treatments. And they are, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what are some actual treatments for people who are trying to conceive? That's a great question. So by the time you get to the point where you see a provider, whether it's a primary care doctor or an infertility specialist, um, you'll complete an evaluation and truly the evaluation will guide what treatment we recommend. So if I meet a couple in which after evaluating their eggs, I evaluate the sperm, and then I also evaluate the tubes to see if they're open and the uterus appears normal and nothing is wrong then usually that couple falls into the bucket of unexplained infertility. 
which generally means we just don't have a good reason at this point to determine why they haven't been able to conceive. That doesn't mean that a reason doesn't exist, but we, with our current medical technology, can't tell them what the, the issue is. Usually for that couple, we recommend taking a combination of pills as well as um, undergoing what's called an intrauterine insemination, which is where we take some of the male partner's sperm and inseminate it directly into the uterus. By causing the woman to grow more eggs in that particular cycle than one, and placing the sperm closer in theory to the egg, we're hoping that that would maximize your chance of conceiving. So that's an example of a treatment option, but that option wouldn't be recommended for everyone. So if I meet a patient or a couple, I should say, and the female is not having regular cycles, so if she is not releasing an egg per month, instead of doing more involved treatments, I may just give her a pill that helps her ovulate every month knowing that if you ovulate every month, you may have an increase or be more likely to conceive. Conversely, if we did a um, test to evaluate the tubes and if they were both closed or damaged, say she had a prior pelvic infection, for example, then giving medication and placing the sperm in the uterus isn't actually going to help if the tubes are closed because you need at least one open tube for conception to take place. So in that case, that couple would really only be able to conceive using in vitro fertilization, which is where we take the eggs out of the body, we combine it with the sperm out of the body in a lab, we create an embryo, and we place that embryo back into the uterus. Would such a procedure be accessible for a lot of Black people? Is like, Does insurance cover something like that? That's a great question. So when I think about the infertility that Black women and on a whole that Black couples face, you know, whether the prevalence of infertility is greater in the Black community than other communities, I don't think the data necessarily supports that. What is different, however, is the access. And so if you don't have the insurance coverage or access or the financial means to pay for some of these more invasive treatment options, then you will remain infertile for a longer period of time as compared to someone who has, say, insurance coverage. There are several states, I believe at this point, over 10 states that have some sort of insurance mandate for coverage. What is actually covered per state is different depending on that state. So it's important to sort of discuss with your insurance company, and this is a perfect time given I think you can... get another insurance policy if you'd like. I think it's open enrollment. But you have to discuss with your insurance company what's actually covered. So for example, I live in Maryland where there are insurance coverage plans that cover not just infertility diagnoses and sort of uh, the initial workup. It actually covers most infertility treatments depending on the indication. So that would include IVF. However, if you live in a state like the one I moved from, which is California, there is no such mandate in California. So that means that patients who live in that state would have to pay out of pocket for infertility treatment. Dancing crew, trip for two, nail the final interview. Game with Doug, brand new mug. Come here, kid, give me a hug. The more you want to do, the more we want to do. 
New COVID-19 boosters designed for recent Omicron variants are now available. Learn about eligibility and schedule a free updated booster today at vaccines.gov. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Question, you just mentioned women who may not have a, a regular cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, one of the first things that come to mind when I think of that is, you know, hey, is that a way for me to see before being diagnosed if I am um, dealing with infertility? Are there signs um, and symptoms? That's a great question. So the sign for a woman that you could use to just think about or consider whether you may struggle with infertility is one, your menstrual history. That's huge. And a menstrual history from a gynecology perspective is one of the biggest tools we have in understanding the patient. So are you obtaining regular cycles? I usually say at least nine cycles per year, ideally would be 12, but at least nine per year. What are the quality of your cycles? Um, Do you have a cycle that's extremely heavy? Are you experiencing lots of blood clots when you have your menstrual cycle? That could indicate that you have something in the uterus like a fibroid that could make it challenging to conceive and needs to be acted on. When you get your periods, are you experiencing a lot of pain? Are you having pain also with bowel movements or with intercourse? That could suggest that you have something called endometriosis which is where some of the lining of the uterus implants outside of the uterus, and that tends to cause extremely painful periods. And that can also make it more challenging to conceive. So those are a lot of the questions you can kind of ask yourself um, if you want to know whether you could struggle in the future. Um, Other questions I would commonly ask patients, um, what are the lengths of your menstrual cycle? So the start of one period to the start of the next, how long is it? Are you someone who has a 28-day cycle? Or have you noticed that gradually your cycles have gotten shorter? Are they more like 25 days? Is there a concern that you're skipping periods uh, and also having things like hot flashes? That can also, particularly if you're in your late 30s or early 40s, signify that the menopausal transition is coming up, which will make it more challenging for you to conceive. So those are some of the questions I would ask for my female patients. For my male patients, besides from exposures, I really um, honor the value of understanding your body and doing what's called a testicular exam. Are you noticing swelling on one side of the testicle or the other side? Have you had any issues with erection, ejaculation? Have you noticed that the volume of ejaculate is particularly low? Obviously, that's not something most people measure, so that's a hard marker, but it is something that I feel like when it's really low, most people aren't surprised. So there are very few men who have had a really, really low volume of ejaculate who was surprised by me telling them that was a result. So you you kind of should, you should know. So those are some of the things that as a man, you could be doing to kind of evaluate yourself. And, and, and I want you to clear this myth up. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard that in the past, that birth control, and I know there are a lot of women out here who use birth control, they're on birth control, that birth control can play with infertility. Is that true? Is that false? It's hard to say. So I would like to think it's false just given we have a lot of great contraceptive options that exist. Um, But 
if you are presenting with infertility, so if you make it to my door, we try to look at all of the exposures you've ever had. And if birth control is one of them, I think the immediate thought is to go to, well, that could have been what precipitated my infertility. 99% of the time, that's not true. And I think a lot of it is we forget to take the denominator into account. So the numerator is all of the women who I see who present with infertility. The denominator is all of the women who have tried that said contraceptive method. And the number of individuals who present to me who have tried something who are also struggling with infertility is such a small fraction of the number of women who have used that contraceptive method and conceived afterwards. So we want to look for something to explain why you know, the couple is going through what they're going through. And certainly when I meet a couple, I don't diminish that concern. I think what's important to recognize is you're using a contraceptive or whatever you decide to use to delay childbearing until it's an appropriate time for you. And when you get to that time period, if you are struggling with infertility, we need to, as a team, figure out how to move forward and kind of help you meet your family building goals, not to beat you up on the, desi- the decision you made to use contraception in the past. Yeah, no, thank you so much for clearing that up um, because I think that is a myth in the Black community that we hear. I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, These factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at TreatCOVID19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving this conversation because what we're talking about here intersects with so many other conversations we've had on Black Health 365, Jackie. Yeah, you're right. Um, from men's health to, um, you know, fertility. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name, um, but endo, <laughs> um, that woman experience. Um, you know, I have, I have an interesting question here, doctor. Um, you know, we often hear about celebrities having babies in their later years. Um, is, is there something, is there some advanced treatment that they may be receiving? Two-pronged question also. Are they doing something different? Let's be real. Um, right. And after that, you know, within your profession, within your field, and you see what's going on with new technologies, do you see there's a future and advanced treatment in the future? For the first question, you know, you really can't reliably get past age. And that is the bottom line. So when we are seeing women who are over 45 conceive, I am hesitant to I'm hesitant to state that these children were conceived using their current gametes. 
So I suspect one of two things are happening. Either they cryopreserved their eggs previously when they were younger, or they're using an egg donor and not disclosing. So one of those two is likely. Now, spill the tea, Doc, spill the tea. One of those two is likely. Now, is there a possibility in a less than 1% manner that someone in their late 40s is using or undergoing so much treatment where they're able to conceive with their own eggs at that time? Certainly, it's not impossible but highly, highly unlikely. And that's just because as a woman ages, I've already kind of mentioned you're born with the number of eggs you'll ever have. And that number decreases with age. Something that increases with age is the genetic abnormalities seen within those eggs. So not only do we have fewer eggs, but they become more genetically abnormal. So over the age of say 42, 43, it's exceedingly challenging to conceive with one eggs, one's own eggs, because they're not likely to be genetically normal and that person is likely to have few of them. So most of the women who are conceiving at older ages are conceiving with eggs that they froze before or with an egg donor. Um, In terms of new technology, there aren't a ton of new things out there except for genetics. So the ability to create embryos and test the embryos for uh, not just the number of chromosomes, but if you and your partner are carriers for the same thing like sickle cell trait, um, I, I think that it's awesome that we have the ability to test the embryo for sickle cell to make sure that we're having less children that are affected by conditions that can really Um, raise or increase their morbidity that they face. So that's probably the biggest thing that I feel like is new and, and really on the forefront. The thing that I wish as a plug for the listeners, the thing that I wish would become mainstream is actually coverage for infertility, uh, not just the workup, but for treatment. I think it's, it's, an understatement how much of the disparity between black and other women of color exists compared to white women when we look at individuals who have access versus those who do not. While yes, having access does not guarantee a lot of the issues you brought up would be eliminated. So there's still going to be the mistrust, there's still going to be, you know, the stigma in our community it will increase the likelihood that someone who finally makes it to the doctor can actually proceed with treatment. Doctor, you just mentioned um, freezing. You talked about freezing eggs. I think you said like, no, something, something, something. Um, What are the, what are the benefits of doing that? Um, What are some concerns? Yeah. And what, at what age should a woman start thinking about doing that? That's a great question. Go ahead, Brett. I'll see what you're Sorry, you know, I just want to keep it quick. You know, I had a conversation with someone about this, um, someone who's near my age um, or younger, uh, 26. And I think it's important to understand that she made me understand that when it comes to egg freezing, I think it's a lot of issues that can go along with that, expense issues and also the physical issues that can go along with that too. So some people kind of make the offhand statement, well, Oh, if you can't find a partner, you can't get married now, just freeze your, your, freeze your eggs and do it later. 
it's very dismissive and triggering for to be for that to be said to someone. I just want to put that out there. No, <laughs> I completely agree. And that goes into the pros and the cons. So we know that your optimal fertility is in your late 20s to early 30s. And once a woman becomes 35, then we do see higher rates of miscarriage. And then we do know as one progresses from 35 to 40 and then 40 to say 42, um, there are more challenges in not just conceiving, but higher rates of miscarriage, uh, lower uh, actual ovarian reserve. So a lower chance that your reproductive window will allow you to have the family that you would want to have. So I think when egg freezing, or I like to call it planned oocyte cryopreservation or planned freezing, um, when that stopped being experimental in the about 2012, 2013, I think it definitely was an, a great opportunity for those who were not ready to family build at that time, but understood the value of wanting a family and then wanting to have a genetic offspring, which is the difference. So you can certainly family build in any way, including adoption. And I want listeners to remember that's definitely a a phenomenal option to build your family. Um, But also by freezing or cryopreserving your eggs, that may be a way to make sure you have a genetic offspring. Now, in terms of the recommendations, lots of the studies used to recommend freezing by about 37 to 38. The reason was a trade-off between likelihood of having a successful outcome, so likelihood of having enough eggs where you could you know, expand your family the way you wanted to, but then also the likelihood of use. And Britt, I think that that gets at your question of cost. So if you undergo an egg freezing cycle at 25, yes, would you have lots of eggs? Sure. You would only like to, you would only likely need one cycle, of course. But what's the likelihood that a 25-year-old will actually come back to utilize those eggs? It's fairly low. So somebody who's 25 who maybe meets the person of their dreams by 30 will probably have intercourse spontaneously conceive and never come back to use the eggs that they spent a lot of money to create and are likely paying for storage fees, which are monthly. So... We have to balance the age risk or age factor for women along with the cost. I'm currently telling patients that if you're between the ages of 32 to 35, I think it makes sense to freeze if you're not in a relationship. There it is. 365ers, this has been an incredible conversation full of information. Um, Doctor, I cannot express how much we appreciate you being on here. Um, before we head off, we just got to get some more information on your full title. Where can we find you, your contact information, website, phone number, wh- whatever we can get from you? Because this, this has been a great conversation. Well, thank you so much. It was uh, great uh, speaking with you all. Your questions were so pointed. And I hope that the listeners gain a lot from this conversation. And it's a continuous conversation. Uh, I am Doreen Morris. I am a new provider at Shady Grove Fertility in Baltimore, Maryland. So if you just look up Shady Grove Fertility in the Baltimore office, I'm there. And I'm one of very few Black uh, reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists that are currently not just at Shady Grove, but that exist. Um, I do think it's hard finding a provider of color 
Um, I'm fortunate that I'm able to work in this space and take care of the women that I'm able to take care of. And if you are in the DMV and you're searching for a woman of color to, you know, help you with your care, I'm certainly here. You heard it. You heard it. Make sure you get that information. And if you, even if you have more questions, 365ers, um, Dr. Uh, Morris is a great person to reach out to, to kind of lead you in the right direction. And that's another um, thing that I do want to point out is even if you don't live in the DMV area, um, it may still be a re really good idea to reach out because you don't know who her network is. She may know somebody in Texas um, if you live in Texas or in California. So, you know, don't be afraid. And I think that's going to be our, you know, what's the 365 is... You know, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to get answers to your questions because you never know um, the answer that you may get. Um, in this respective case, if you are dealing with infertility, um, we're talking to Dr. Morris, who is based in the DMV. But, you know, you may be in Texas and you may be able to reach out to her and she may be able to lead you to somebody of color who can help you out just as great um, as she can. So, yeah, that's your what's your 365 is, you know, don't be afraid to reach out, reach out. Uh, get answers to your questions. It's not going to do anything but make you a better person, um, which again, is going to help, you know, you and your family and everybody around you. I'd say for individuals of color, we present late for care. We have worse outcomes oftentimes because we present late. Please reach out to me if you've been battling with infertility. The network of reproductive endocrinologists that are women of color is small, which means we know each other. And so I know exactly where most people work throughout the nation if they're a provider within my space and they're a woman of color or a person of color, so woman or a man of color. And I also can tell you there are also a list of allies. So if you live in a state where there isn't a person of color, but someone who's done a lot of research in this space and is committed to working with individuals of color, then you know I can put you in touch with that person as well. So just reach out. Simply put, reach out, okay? Get the help that is needed. Get those questions answered. 365ers, as always, we thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you have any questions, anything you want us to cover, anything you want us to talk about, you know where you can find us on social media. Slide in those DMs, ask those questions so that we can get them answered for you because we are here to make sure that you live, that we all live our best life. Um, in 2022 and beyond. So with that being said, I am Jackie Page. And I'm Britt Daniels. And there it is. Peace, namaste, and love. Adios. Black Health 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels, created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez, executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell, editing and production, Jahi Whitehead, sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.